for the last, uh, I don't know, 20 years or so of my life, I've had the, the privilege and opportunity to be involved in different sort of military um, ceremonies, from the military balls to uh, promotionals and uh, uh, rank to change of command ceremonies. I have family members and friends that are part of these things. And uh, several years ago, we got to participate in a change of command of one of my cousins up at Fort Bragg. And one of the things that I, I learned, I've learned through all this is the, the level of pomp and circumstance associated with those change of commands is directly related to the rank of the person involved. And so we were there at Fort Bragg and we were going through this change of command ceremony that was going to happen the next day. And we were at my cousin's house with his family on base and he had uh, several of his uh, men and their families from his unit there. And that night, we gathered together and we prayed. We sang hymns. We read the Psalms. And my first thought was, wow, this is one of the high-ranking you know, military officials. And we're praying to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to help him in this change of command. And, but there was a sense that night of, of awe and allegiance. You could see it in the, in the guys from his unit. Uh, and there was a sense of confidence and assurance that we were in good hands. And as I, as I prepared this sermon this morning, I thought of that change of command, and then I thought of this change of command. This is one of the places in the Bible where it says, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new authority that has come. And the old authorities that were out there, there's a new one here. And everything about this scene From the angels to the shepherds to the manger says there's an invasion happening, but it's an invasion of peace. What does that look like for us? So let's look at this passage and see how this invasion of heaven to earth is an invasion of peace. We're going to see the players involved in this invasion and we're going to see the plot of this invasion. So first, the players. The most obvious player in this whole scene is a baby. Let that sink in. I just said there's an invasion of heaven to earth, and the invasion was a baby. This, my friends, is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The Old Testament would call him the Lord of hosts, the commander of the Lord's armies. That's who is in a manger. Think about this. Let it rest on you. If there's a king on earth, this is his king. If there's a lord on earth, this is his lord. If there's a commander of armies, this is the commander of all commanders, and he is lying in a manger. As we'll see in a second, the heavens understood this. The angels proclaim, this is our commander. We'll see that in a second. But if you know the story... God put a star in the sky to, to announce from a creation standpoint that this baby was special. And some wise men from the east who studied astrology knew that that kind of star represented the birth of a pretty powerful king. And they followed that star all the way to this place in Bethlehem. And in fact, the king of the day, King Herod, who was a ruthless and horrible king was so threatened by this two-year-old baby, he had all the two-year-olds in the area killed to try to eradicate the presence of this king, which he was unsuccessful, praise God. Friend, 
right off the bat, we would do well to remember this. When we're afraid that the powers that be around us seem to be triumphing, there is one who is more powerful, has greater authority than all the creational forces, all the earthly powers, all the rulers, and he's lying in a manger. The second group of people we need to, or players we need to see is the angels themselves. Now, if you're like most of us, we've domesticated angels to chubby white kids with diapers and harps and wings floating around in precious moments, uh, Hallmark infomercials. Or maybe we've graduated a little bit to a sophisticated choir with gorgeous voices. And I don't have any reason to doubt that the angels had great voices. But what the scriptures tell us and what most theologians would say, the, the, the words they would describe angels are warrior messengers. They were meant to come and bring a message of God's triumph on the earth, God's will on the earth, and they were warriors. In fact, in 2 Kings 19, the scriptures tell us that one angel killed 185,000 soldiers of God's enemies in one night. One angel. Now get the scene. Here, in our passage, an angel appears. If this were a fat white baby in a diaper, why would he have to say, fear not? Why would the shepherds be afraid? Well, they're afraid because a warrior messenger has come to deliver them a message. And what is their message? I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which in itself was a militaristic declaration, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And at that moment, the shepherds were afraid. And then what was joined with this one angel was a host of heavenly beings. And I told you at the beginning, the, the, the pomp and circumstance of a change of command was directly related to the rank of that person. Here is the host of heaven announcing the birth of their king. But then in an unbelievable twist of irony, who were the first people to receive this announcement. Shepherds. Every theologian says there's one group of people in, in Palestine in that day lower than the shepherds, and it's the lepers. The shepherds were the lowest of the low. They were outcast. They were marginalized. They were not thought of by anybody as something significant. Yet, the God of the universe thought the best people to receive this good news of great joy were shepherds. Friends, the angelic proclamation tells us about the nature of this king and who receives the message first tells us about the nature of his kingdom. It is one of peace. A baby in a manger, shepherds receiving a message, screams to us there's an invasion and it's an invasion of peace. Those are the players. What about this plot? The word peace here, many of you know, is the word shalom. And in, in, in Hebrew, it means much more than just an inward dis disposition or an absence of war. It literally means harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, a whole social order of well-being and prosperity and security. So when a Hebrew would greet another Hebrew with shalom, they were asking for God to bless them in such a way that all of their life would be filled with peace and prosperity. That is what's meant here. So when the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy, 
that God is bringing his peace on earth. It's a total well-being for his people. And this was going to happen, as the angel said, through a baby who was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Listen to how Paul described this Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. As I was thinking about this, there, there were four kind of huge truths that jumped out to me. Let me just unpack these for you. First, the incarnation itself. The teaching that God took on human flesh and entered the story of humanity. That's the incarnation. He didn't come with militaristic power. He didn't have a missile display. He didn't, he didn't come to the, the high and mighty of the day. He didn't come to the Roman government. He didn't even come to the religious powers of the day. God chose to invade earth in a man, in a lowly man born in a manger. Friends, this to me, the presence of God in this way tells me this is a kingdom of peace. God came to reconcile earth to himself. The incarnation screams to us, God is a God of peace. The second thing is this, when Jesus was on the earth, he he would say things like, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. Why could he say the kingdom of God was at hand? Because he's the king. Wherever the king goes, the kingdom goes. The kingdom of God was at hand. So the second thing I thought about was this inaugurated kingdom that Jesus brought. You know, every January, we have the presidential inauguration address. It's the day when the president has his first day in office. He's inaugurating his presidency. Here, the incarnation is the inauguration of the kingdom of God on earth. And as Jesus' life would unfold, he began to bring to bear what this kingdom would be like. And it was one of peace, wasn't it? He would walk upon someone who was having conflict in their body. They couldn't see. They had a disease. They were lame. And what would he do? He would bring the inaugurated kingdom to bear on that body and he would make it whole. Or he would come up to a person who who was having a spiritual conflict with a demon and they were possessed by an evil power. And he would come and he would bring the inaugurated kingdom to bear on that hostility with the demons and he would eradicate the demons. Or he would have these, these global, these, these geopolitical conflicts, even like on the night of his betrayal and his, and his court case with Pilate. Pilate says, do you not know that I have the authority to destroy you? And Jesus says, that, I could have a legion of hosts and angels to come. Don't be mistaken of your power, Pilate. I came to bring peace on the earth. The inaugurated kingdom came. This incarnation, this inaugurated kingdom where peace would reign. The third one I thought about was the atoning, the substitutionary atonement. Paul said he disarmed the rulers and authorities by putting them to open shame, by triumphing over them 
on the cross. Jesus didn't come and kill anybody. How did peace come to the earth? Not through his destroying of anybody, but the destroying of himself. Why? Sin was that heinous. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The substitutionary atonement of God through Jesus Christ screams a gospel of peace. Friend, don't take this lightly. If you have bowed your knee to the, in allegiance to King Jesus, having your sins forgiven through the blood of his cross, then you are at peace with God. You're at peace with God. Can there be anything greater than that? God is no longer angry with you. You're at peace with him. And the fourth truth that just screamed to me this week was the resurrection of the body. Because not only did this, this, this incarnate Jesus, the, the son of God on earth, inaugurate a kingdom and make peace with God through his cross, death itself could not hold him down. He rose from the dead, conquering our worst enemy, death. I remember a situation that this became very vivid to me. Uh, my grandparents raised me for the most part of my teenage years, and so I was very close with my grandfather. And I remember, the, I remember the day that he was diagnosed with cancer, and it was you know to me he was this strong man uh, who could 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 you know nothing could could harm him, and within six months he was dead. Uh, he had got cancer had just taken him, and it, it was terrible. And I remember I was away at college. And my mom would call me every couple of days and give me updates on grandpa. And, and, then, and then, you know, it got to the point where they put him under hospice care. He wanted to stay at home. He wanted to die at home. So they, they brought hospice to his house. And my mom called me one, I think it was on a Thursday. And she said, well, I think you ought to come home. I think, I think this is it. So I got in my car and I drove the hour and a half home. And, and I got there and I, I sat with my grandfather. And within 10 or 15 minutes after being there, he, I watched him take his last breath. And, you know, I like to think he waited on me to get there. That's how, you know, kind of narcissistic I can be. Uh, but I, there was something about that for me. It was like he waited for me to get there. And I watched him die peacefully. But the months leading up were not peaceful. They were hard and difficult. And strong. And I remember thinking, he, he died kind of tranquilly, thankfully, to the, the, the nurse's great care of him. But he still died. And I got to thinking, whether it's a peaceful death or a violent death, death was still the end. God, what is the hope here? And I hear my Savior saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, yet he he die, though he will live. And he says to Martha, do you believe this? And I know some of you have experienced that, watching a relative die, whether peacefully or violently. Death gets us all, but the story of Jesus says death is not the final say. There is a resurrection that will come. So what do we do with this? Three quick applications and then we'll finish. The obvious first one is if you're here this morning and you're not sure you have peace with God, I implore you, turn to him today. There's no greater conflict in the world than to be in conflict with your creator. I bring you good news of great joy that is for all the peoples. Born to you today is Christ, the Savior, the Lord, has been born. Repent and trust him. The second 
probably applies to all of us at some level, is what the angels said. Do not fear. What do you have to be afraid of if this is true? If this teaching of an invasion of peace from the King of kings and the Lord of lords is true and his kingdom has come, you don't have to be afraid of a medical diagnosis. You don't have to be afraid of a government military invasion. You don't have to be afraid of financial struggles. You don't have to be afraid of relational difficulties. I know that's hard, easier said than done. But friend, if this Christmas you could lay your fears at the feet of Jesus and see them all dissipate under his great peace, what a treasure that would be for us this Christmas. Do not be afraid. Fear not, the angels said, for I bring you good news. And then thirdly, and this is, this is one of the greatest uh, twists of irony. What God, what, what the Bible says has happened to you and I. If you have been reconciled to God in, in, by, the, by the cross and peace is yours with him, you are now a, a proclaimer of peace to the world. You are now a publisher of peace. You are now joining with the heavenly chorus, a messenger of peace. You get to now go proclaim to a hostile world good news. And this peace is one of presence. As, we, as, as the Cowans read, this peace is inward. When you show up to work, when you show up to your families, when you show up to the holiday gatherings with your family, when you show up to Walmart or with your hobbies, friends, you have the Holy Spirit. You show up in peace because you have the presence of God. Or there's a peace with power. We, this, this inward peace is for others. We bring justice and mercy and healing and forgiveness to the earth. God has entrusted that message of reconciliation to us. And it's a piece of proclamation. We get to announce to the world, I bring you good news of great joy. A Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. So let me encourage you to go be a proclaimer of peace to the world. So Mark and Luke and I, have, have, as we talked about these Advent themes, we, we talked about them in terms of struggle. We're struggling for joy. We're struggling for love. We're struggling for peace. That's true, isn't it? So that, that night that we were at the change of command at Fort Bragg, there was a sense of awe and anticipation. And the next day, we would go to the change of command uh, ceremony, which was incredible. Gl- a, a global representation uh, there to celebrate this. But we learned at lunch my cousin took command at 4 a.m. And he arrived on command having just received the news that one of his soldiers had died. He was part of a unit that rarely had a soldier die. And he took over command that morning having one of his own die. The struggle for peace is real. His command was real. His authority was real. The allegiance was real but it was in the midst of a war front where tragedy was there. Friends, that's where we live. As we read this morning, we live in an already but not yet kingdom. It's already here. There's peace, but not fully. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Friends, he is the prince of peace. 
and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Amen? All right, let's pray together and then come to his table. Peace. Father, thank you for this vivid, dramatic story of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And I pray that this Christmas season, we would long for peace. We would struggle now as we wrestle with continued inward hostility and outward hostility and the fear of more hostility. Lord, would we be reminded today that Jesus came to bring peace on earth, goodwill to men. Lord, as we taste now this body and blood of Jesus Christ for the communion that we're about to partake, would you remind us that he brought peace to us through his shed blood, that we are actually at peace with you, and you are at peace with us. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.